Howdy. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Yeah, I hope you're listening to this on a Tuesday. If you're not, happy whatever day. But if you don't know this secret, we drop these on Tuesdays because there's a Hebrew tradition. It's the day of double blessing. And so this was very particular. We picked the day on purpose. Plus, that makes you like Tuesday so much. Yeah. You know? And it needs to be liked more that Tuesday. I feel bad for it. It's kind of like an overlooked day. Yeah. It's like, it's like who cares? Yeah. It's like Wednesday, you're like halfway through, you know? <laughs> yeah. Thursday, you're like Friday Eve. <laughs> Tuesdays gets, it's like the runt of the litter. Yeah. It's actually the best of the best. Well, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Stefan Taker. This is the Revival Podcast. We just love to talk about things of faith together. Something Steph and I have been doing a long time, and we decided to take it to the airwaves. So if you're new, we're so happy that you're here. We think life, faith is something that's worth talking about and exploring and and developing and asking questions about and struggling through. And anyways, we just hope that our goal is that you feel revived in your life of faith and you find something new and beautiful to believe in after every single episode. So thanks for listening in. Okay, so just real fast, on January 19th and 20th, there's a religious education symposium at BYU. And if you're interested, it'll be a lot of BYU scholars and some other scholars too, just talking about the Book of Mormon, which is our Come Follow Me study this year, just talking about their latest research on the Book of Mormon. And it's scholarly, but it's also accessible. And I'll be speaking on Saturday, so I'd love to meet you if you want to come by 10 a.m. It's all free. Just come, and it's just a bunch of scholars presenting on the Book of Mormon How fun. At, at BYU. So if you're interested, come on by. Cool. How can somebody, what do they just Google? What's yeah, it called? A religious Education Symposium. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, BYU. So. <laughs> I was just thinking, that's the difference between me and you. <laughs> Stephen belongs speaking at a symposium. I want to speak at a circus. Uh, <laughs> so get really fancy. I like that it's going to be scholarly and accessible. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That'll be awesome. Okay, everybody go and see Stefan speak. That'll be fun. If you want. Yeah, even if you don't. <laughs> Okay, so we're kind of on a, we didn't want the episodes to be too long, you know, each week. So we keep ourselves, we have a little timer that runs just to make sure we're not going too far. So it's, so it could be a drive to work kind of thing every week or a walk or something like that. So last two episodes ago, we talked about, if you haven't listened to it, you might want to go back to and start with the one that was addressing, man, what do I, how do I handle and deal with people who are leaving faith that I love and care about? Which led to last week's episode, which was, why might people actually leave? And obviously we don't know and for every single person, and that's we can't be super simplistic with it, but we talked about, we focused on a couple different reasons, and one of them sort of, we really leaned into the idea that it's a, faith is a heart issue, it's a belief issue, and Things can capture your heart and they can, things can draw your heart away. And, and we talked about that and we just felt like we should come in to one more. Well, we'll see because we didn't know this was going to end up being three. So who knows what's going to happen? One more kind of along that same has now become a little bit of a series that go together. So, yeah. yeah. So today we want to talk about in connection with why might someone leave and or leave faith and how can we possibly, how might we help them? And this is not an attempt to manipulate or to force people to believe something. And in our faith tradition, we like put a high premium on agency and choice at uh -huh. the center of a faith life. It would have to be. 
for faith to be authentic, I'd right. have to be able to choose it. I have to be able to say no and for me in order to say yes, right? right. Like Fred Craddock says, which right? makes which makes faith and love so similar. There's no and, question. And they're both relational terms. You know, if you spend any time around us, you know that we will just probably say that again and again and again. I think it's so important to remember faith as a relationship term. To live a life of faith means to live in relationship with God. That's exactly what it means. It means to trust in and look to someone for meaning and direction and purpose and fulfillment. And that makes faith and love really similar right. terms with each other. And you have to be able to say no to a relationship in order for that relationship to be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that wasn't planned. And I think that's a, a perfect way to introduce what we're going to talk about because Nothing is planned. Everyone just you know. <laughs> everyone you should see uh, David Butler's notes. They are incredibly sparse, <laughs> and, he's, and he's awesome. And it's, it's like napkins, pieces of paper, receipts. Cover these four ideas in a fifty-minute lesson or whatever. You know, I think it would be helpful to sort of talk about one of the reasons why I think some people step away from faith is that they'll take really effective tools at getting that truth, science, and reason, uh-huh. and, and then they'll misapply them in domains that they don't work as well. And so what I mean by that is science and reason are awesome when it comes to, you know, studying rocks and the solar system and butterflies and butterflies <laughs> and, and doing syllogisms. And, what? Oh, that's like a, a syllogism is like a, a way of lay, laying out an argument or a thought oh, okay. process. So, like, Socrates is, is mortal. All mortals die. Therefore, Socrates will die, right? So that's okay. rationality, right? But those are the kinds of things that sort of break down when we apply them to love hmm. or meaning or what's right and what's wrong, morality, and especially faith. Now, that doesn't mean that science and reason don't play a part in those things. But often people will say things like, well, I'm turning away from faith because now I embrace science. And what I want to say to that is, or I'm, I've just looked into the church and it just doesn't seem reasonable anymore. Hmm. And I want to say, okay, there's probably a few things happening there and that we need to unpack. And I want to say, use your science, use your reason, but also be open to the possibility that God has his own reasons. And, his, and some of the things that we interact with and humans experience are sort of outside of the scientific method. And they're under a logic and reason that we haven't fully comprehended. There's a very famous French philosopher named Jean-Luc Marion, and he says, we have found that God, and he's a brilliant philosopher, and he's also a believer, he's a Catholic, and he says, we have found that reason has not disproven God, but that God is too big for our reasons. And so I think that's important. We're going to talk about something related to that, but what are you thinking, Dave? What do you want to say? Well, I'm just trying to think. My first thought, I really love that line. And I think it puts somebody in a a place of humility in approaching it and understanding like, okay, something as grand and great as God, we won't be able to capture him fully. And I think that's important in approaching a relationship with God is to have a sense of humility and a sense of, and, and I would add with humility, a sense of wonder and curiosity and openness and an embrace of um, mystery, right? That those would all be, I think, important parts of a faith life. A right? faith life, yeah, right? Yeah. That I, that it needs to be that. And then it started making me think, like, oh, what reason do I use with God? Because I like how you're saying, like, 
I'm not throwing away reason entirely because I'm thinking of, we mentioned this last in last week's episode, Alma 32, that he seems to take a really, what you would almost call a scientific method approach. It depends on how you define scientific yeah, method, right? right, right. Yeah. But it seems really logical right. for him to say, it's based on experience. Experience, right. right. That's where it's like, yeah. uh, or an observation. That's that's where I would Good. say this yep. scientific method, something right. I learned in school. Sorry, I feel like sorry this. to be nitpicky about that. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Because I just remember studying that one time thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, you can observe a plant growing and I can also observe something changing and moving and growing within me right. as well. So like, uh, so there is that part to it, an right. observational part that is reason, right? 100%, 100%. And the other thing to just quickly mention before we talk about something else and related to this is that there are different kinds of sciences and different kinds of reason. So when people say, oh, I embrace reason now, I've left faith, don't attack. But a really important question to talk about is what kind of, whose reason? People who study philosophy know that there are different sort of ways of understanding how reason works and and how to unpack that. And so no one just takes up a life of reason. There's always a genealogy behind whatever beliefs we claim. That's related to this next point, which is a lot of times people in trying to figure out if something is true, unintentionally apply cultural lenses to what they see as true or false. And the reason why that's so important is because always the gospel will bump up against culture. Sometimes it will affirm aspects of a culture, and sometimes it will challenge aspects of yeah. a culture. And if we're not aware of that tension that's always there, we can mistakenly think that the culture I'm swimming in uh, just sees the world completely clearly, yeah. right? Now, it goes the other way, too. The church is also not true just because I was raised in it. I may have certain right. ideas that I was raised to believe because I'm a part of a culture, and I may believe the church because I was raised in it. That also doesn't make it true. It also doesn't make it false, by the way, right? Yeah, right. And so we have to use other methods when it comes to spirituality on de to determine its truthfulness or not. And we can use science. We can use reason. We can even use our culture, but we have to be aware of their limits on, huh. on, on some level as well. Okay, so what would you say is, what are the methods that I would use? Okay, so this is where it gets really awesome, really exciting. And this is why that Alma 32 scripture, I think, and personally, is the most relevant text in in the Book of Mormon right now and, and, and huh. for what the world needs. Um, one time I called one of my friends at BYU and I said, how do you help someone know if they know? How do you help them figure that out? Yeah. And he said, the way you do it is you actually have to, I want to say this in a way that's effective. It, let me say what it's not first. It's not just thinking about it. It's not just studying it, right? It's not discovering the right church history truth or fact or evidence. Although, that all plays a role. And really quick, there better be evidences for the Book of Mormon, and there better be evidences for the resurrection. Otherwise, those play a part, right? right. God himself right. said there are eight witnesses that handled the plates, right? And it's okay to think about that and inspect that, and that plays a, a realm. But ultimately— Well, it gives you a reason to even engage, right, I feel like. Right, And it keeps right? it within the realm of possibility, yeah. right? It's not just yeah. Lord of the Rings, right, or something like that, right? What my friend said was, you actually have to sort of try it. Huh. You've got to call out to God interact with him mm. and uh, pray and seek after him and then uh, notice what happens. Yeah. Watch what happens. And in that sense, it's the first vision is the perfect example mm. because Joseph was sick of debating and talking and studying. Uh -huh. He's like, I can't figure it out. 
And he went into the woods and he interacted with God. He sought mm. for an encounter with the divine. Uh. And then the heavens opened quite dramatically. And Joseph could begin to say like, ah, there's something. Well, he knew, right? And for the rest of us, on a some level, we can say, I know, I, I've encountered the divine. I've experienced it. Right. Right. And for, from my own experience, I've encountered it. Mm. And I feel like that, I mean, people hesitate sometimes to use or hear the the phrase, I know, in church. And I, I think when people hesitate hearing it, it's because of whatever they're defining the phrase, I know, as. Right. And if I'm defining I know equals... The scientific method. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you're... Yeah. Right. Right. But if I'm defining I know as I've experienced and encountered God and I've noticed something different and I've noticed something change, I've noticed my mind enlightening, I've noticed my heart beating to a different drum, then people can confidently use that phrase and say, and people just use words differently, right? right. Someone might say, I believe, and that's what they're talking about the same way. It's like, I believe. And you would almost want to say, why? To anybody who says, I believe yeah. or I know. It's like, I know this and this and this. Why? And the, oh, let me give you, let me give you my experiences. As I as I, I think would be right. not necessarily my reasonings. Someone could give those, but man, I, I feel like I'd be more interested in and it's more meaningful to me to point to my experiences right. than it is. I care that something's true kind of <laughs> but we you care know, just as much as if that it's helpful and beautiful yeah, yeah. right yes and i'm saying that carefully because i actually don't know how much i care <laughs> you right. know i you know in that alma 32 alma says when he talks about the experiment and planting the seed i've always thought it's really interesting that he says now if it be a good seed or a true seed is the phrase that he uses i'm trying to pull it up as i'm talking about it. Just can to make can sure I read I'm... a quote while you pull it up? Yeah, yeah. This is from President Nelson. He says, understand that in the absence of experiences with God, one can doubt the existence of God. So put yourself in a position to begin having experiences with him. Humble yourself. Pray to have eyes to see God's hand in your life and in the world around you. Ask him to tell you if he is really there, if he knows you. Ask him how he feels about you, and then listen. I mean, that's remarkable. That's like just words of a prophet. Yeah, but it's fascinating to me that the great God in heaven would engage yeah. with us here. I mean, that's like if you want to talk about what's good news, right? You know, and I just feel like it's incredible that I would have access to to God. Period. But the more I learn about Him that I still have access, right. you know, to him. Okay, I found that that scripture. He says, yeah, if it be a true seed or a good seed, then I like for the rest of the chapter, Alma just kind of sets true aside for a second. And he focuses on the word good. Mm. And he's not that true is not important, but that he's just like, can we just maybe talk about if it's good? Right. Like is living the gospel good? Is, is repenting good? Is trying to live more humbly good? Like what, what are the fruits of it? What are coming from believing these things? Yeah. And are they, are they good? Are they making a difference? And I, I just think that's, I like that he focuses, kind of put, seems to put 
I don't want to put words in his mouth, but seems to at least put a focus on, well, why don't you first start on, is it good? Like, yeah. Are things changing in a way that are that's good? And I don't know, that's been my experience. Like, I, I feel like I, the thrill of living the gospel for me is the experience of living the gospel. If someone says, like, why do you continue to live a life of faith? My answer back would be, because I like it. I'm not living it because it's true necessarily, right? Like That's not the only reason. Right, yeah. right. And it's not my number one reason. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'd, sometimes I'm like, when the opening line to a testimony is always like, I know the church is true. I want to say like, come on, man. Like, is there not a better leadoff line, you know, than that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, why don't we start, we need to start trading the primary kids to, Start with another line, you know, <laughs> something that I think is more, you know, is bigger and thrilling. Like, I know God's good, you know, yeah. or like math is true. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are true, and you're just like, oh, okay, great, right. you know. Yeah. yeah. But is it good? Is it um, does it thrill you? Does it challenge you? Does it um, give you new perspective, new lenses? Does it change your relationships? And for me, all of that has been that's happened for me, yeah. and so it's what makes me want to stay engaged and yeah in it people might be thinking they might say okay but can i have all that humility repentance or change stability love happy experiences without god and so let's let's address that because the claim and argument i think that a lot of us would make is that there are things about unique to a, the faith narrative and worldview now someone might say well can i have the good and of religion without having all the religious claims. Like, can I have humility and repentance and uh, connecting experiences without God? Let's talk about that for a second, because I think what we would want to claim is that there are things unique to the faith narrative and story that reveal how the world works in powerful ways, mm. reveal reality in powerful ways. So I'll just say like this, when people develop certain skills, they start to be able to see things they couldn't see before, Right. So like a quarterback learning how to play quarterback can now read defenses better or someone who's learning to paint or work with wood or music, they can perceive things that they couldn't about reality because they develop certain skills. Hmm. So let me read you what this one scholar says. He happens to be a Latter-day Saint. He's at Oxford. His name's Mark Rathall. He says this, faith will then not be amenable to proof in the way one verifies an epistemic state or proposition, i.e. demonstrating that it is true. Okay, so what that means is, is like, <laughs> as I was reading, I was Step like, oh. just saw my face. I was like, what? <laughs> what? What he's saying is, is that faith is not proven in the same way that a scientific claim is, right? Okay. Or some kind of logical deductive syllogism or something like that. Okay. He says, but it will have the kind of confirmation or success conditions that all other skills have. Baking skills are confirmed or successful when they allow me to cope with the kitchen. Cope doesn't mean like emotionally make it through. It means like work in the kitchen successfully, right? Religious faith will be confirmed or successful when it gives me the practices and dispositions I need to cope with the world as a whole. We're saying marriage, death, raising your kids, your job, uh, relationships, yeah. all of that stuff takes on a unique flavor and taste and, and particularly meaningful and successful flavor when I live a life of faith. Mm. And that helps. It doesn't, it doesn't prove it in some epistemic certain way, but it helps me see like 
there's something to this. Yeah. Right? That the resurrection calms my deepest fears about death. Right? Yeah. That the temple grants my deepest hopes about re relationships. And then we start to say, ah, there's something to this in its truth claims. Wow. Who was that? His name is Mark Rathaus in an article called, you ready for this? Ready. The Revealed Word and World Disclosure, Heidegger and Pascal on the Phenomenology of Religious Faith. See, <laughs> <laughs> I really just like sing a song and I feel it. So, <laughs> But Mark Rathaus, he's, I don't even, I can't even, my word, that title, but. Um, I love the, the smartest thinkers in the world. Go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right? Any, yeah. I mean, somebody who has that title for their article, you'd be like, holy moly. Um, but he comes back to just this lived out experience. And I think it now like offers us an invitation indirectly to focus on the experiences that we have living a life of faith that I don't focus perhaps so much on proving right or wrong, but live it out and see how it works. Yeah, how it works. Right. Now, some people might say, you know, I tried it and it didn't work. And I, I, I want to say the best relationships I know are complicated and messy and take time and you have to work through them and uh, should not be thrown out easily, right? Yeah. And of course, I believe that faith should be held on to at all costs. So to put all this together, all three episodes, the original question that someone wrote, wrote in and said, how do I help a child who's leaving faith? Yeah. With all of this in the background, let's just provide four basic things that someone can do to put someone in a position where if they're open, and this is not manipulation, and we're not trying to force anyone, but might put someone in a spot where they can see the beauty, wonder, be astonished by the gospel again, yeah. and start to have experiences with God. And these go from least direct to most direct, hmm. okay? All right, I'm, and I'll just do these really quick. Number one, uh, the example we set. When people see us living a life of faith, and it's thrilling and exciting, and we're positive and talk about it that way, and we're honest, we're, we're not faking it, right. then people might be like, oh, I see it. Okay, the second one is our relationship with them, right? We have to be an example, and closely related to that is, are we a Christian to other people, right? Do we treat them well? That will start to help them see, like, maybe there's something different here that's not just belief, but there's actually revealing a reality. Yeah, that something's, like, affecting the way that you love and treat and forgive right. and engage with other people. Yeah, it's, I feel bad going over these so quickly because there's so much to be talked about. But the, the third one is, is to help people be in Christ-centered or spiritual environments. So we invite them into our home or discussions around the table about faith. And, and we're open and honest. But when people are in sacred spots, whether that's outside hiking or temple grounds, I think that's an indirect way that people can start to see the beauty, wonder, and, and have experiences with God. And then finally, stories to share our own experience and to share our, our stories of faith. Yeah. And that can be, that starts to get into more direct right? But when people are ready for that, we can say, this is why I, I believe, and this is why I've always maintained belief. Can I read a quick quote yeah. from another Oxford uh, scholar, Alistair McGrath? He says this, we are called to out-narrate the dominant stories that shape our culture. Boom. Whoa, by, that's such a good phrase, out-narrate. It is. It is. It, he says, by exposing their weaknesses or showing how they are enfolded or by our own or how they are eclipsed by a more luminous, and compelling story. My goodness.
I consider that my whole mission statement yeah. as a religious educator yeah. is to show how the restored gospel is is one true, but also more luminous and compelling than any other story. Yeah. And it really comes back to what we talked about last episode, that idea of the heart, like win someone's heart over to a better story. There's a better way to see the world. There's a better way to live in this world. There's a better way to engage with weakness and sin. And there's a better way to, you know, strengthen relationship and live life and deal with death. You know, we're all humanity. All of humanity is searching for how do I cope with mortality? Right. We all look for Jesus's better, what Jesus calls the better way. Right. Like everybody has their own gospel, right? They're searching for it. And I genuinely believe that Jesus of Nazareth has the best story of all stories. And when you hear it, it's better. It compels you like those two you ended with last week who said, we wish this for this to be true. Right. But then the good news is when you live it out. You actually see it is. You actually see it is. It works. Right. It happens. Like on the wall, it's like, wow, I wish that could be true. And then when you engage with it, you get to live in it and you experience it. And it's... Uh, you experience God, his grace, goodness through the spirit, through revelation. And you can say, I know that this is real, that God is real. He called his son to die for us and he's restored his, the gospel and the fullness in the latter days. Ah, it makes me so happy to be a believer. <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. All right. That's reviving. All right. See y'all next week. 